1: It's Rick Tittle!
2: thank you for that and uh, welcome to another live edition of titillating sports great to have you with us wherever you might happen to be listening and um, my name is rick tittle and uh, this show is coast to coast baby that's right and around the world on american forces uh proud and privileged to be on afn as uh i come from a military family i think like most Americans do, but <clears throat> even if you don't, we appreciate all that you do in the military to uh, keep us all safe and sound. Hope everybody's doing well. Uh, the lines are available wherever you're listening and however you're listening at 1-800-878-PLAY. Once again, one eight hundred eight seven eight seven five two nine. 878 7529 And you might say, well, what sport do you talk about? Oh, just football, basketball, baseball, hockey, soccer, golf, tennis, auto-racing, boxing, Olympics, put it, the ball, chess checkers, rugby, cricket. We have a huge show today. When is it not? Um, Festpocalypse uh, people. Eliza Skinner will be joining us uh, coming up here in about 15 minutes. The comedian. Uh, we're going to close down the show at 11:40 with one of my favorites, the comedic genius of uh, Robert Smigel, and uh, he knows everybody and he's. You <laughs> say uh, he goes way back. Also with Festpocalypse, Lorraine Newman will join us again in the original SNL cast that'll be at eleven ten. in between that we will have the ceo of the special olympics international we'll have sports illustrated writer steven Canella. and uh, we will also have a uh, author denise woods so it's jam-packed with that's entertainment what's that song was it by the i forget anyway <laughs> live radio as you can tell Tune in app, iHeartRadio app, Stitcher app, plus CRN Digital Plus Two, the Cable Radio Network Channel Tune Cable Provider, Title Eating Sports with Rick Tittle is the Facebook fan page. All my fans. And the Twitter is at Rick Tittle. Big show, take a quick break, come on back.
6: What's in store this week at Staples?
7: Small prices, big
6: savings. Help your business go big with everything you need at amazing prices,
7: like furniture, organization supplies, and the latest tech products. And
6: now, save up to twenty dollars on select
7: TurboTax software at Staples. Get your maximum refund guaranteed, whether you file on your own or get help from an expert with new TurboTax Live.
6: Shop in store or pick
7: up curbside. Save up to twenty
1: dollars on TurboTax software now at
6: Staples, while supplies last. Ends one thirty twenty one. Curbside available at most stores.
1: Any credit card can offer cash back, but only Discover matches all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year. It's like getting one of those birthday cards that's shaped like cash so you already know there's cash inside before opening it. But in this case, it's stuffed with your first year cash back match and you don't even have to send a thank you note. Cashback match. Only by Discover card. Learn more at discover.com match. Discover.
8: Something brighter.
2: Hey, thanks for that, and uh, welcome back to the show. I've got a free segment here um, for your calls at 1-800-878-PLAY, 1-800-878-7529, and uh, Eliza Skinner coming up in the uh, next segment. Eliza reminds me a lot of Annie Letterman. I will not say that to her, because that probably, she gets that a lot. Annie Letterman is also a a comedian, and so let's get that out of the way right now, I guess. (laughs) But, uh, unfortunately, uh, for the sports fans in Houston, Texas, it is now official, according to Jason 4 of CBS Sports, that Deshaun Watson has officially asked for a trade now. Before, it was all just, you know, less than tacit, disgruntled tweets and hearsay and, you know, a raised eyebrow or two. But it appears that the Deshaun Watson era is over in Texas unless they want to play hardball with a pigskin. And it's his angst towards the owner Cal McNair and and Jack Easterby, who's running things. It's just it it just hit a fever pitch when we got to the point that they didn't ask him who we wanted as his head coach, and then they went out and they fired they hired uh, Nick Casario <clears throat> to the football ops guy so uh, apparently the texans have now formally received his request and uh, it appears the actual request isn't recent and has nothing to do with with cully and watson has continued to you know shun the texans front office but i guess we're just getting a leak at it right uh, a look at it right now And he does have a no trade, and he's certainly willing uh, to waive it for the right team. Uh, Rumor has it that his two, we heard this last week, that he wanted to go to the Dolphins or the Jets. And if if you're a Jets fan, you have to be pulling your hair out right now. Who the hell would want to play for the New York Jets? This guy does. You know, Deshaun Watson, on playing on a team that won four games led the NFL in passing. And oh, by the way, DeAndre Hopkins is in a different conference now. So just to show you how good this guy is, who had been running for his life his whole career, just think if you could put some semblance of an offensive line in front of him, what this guy could do. So the Dolphins thing I get, because he wants to go home, and he grew up rooting for the Dolphins and, you know, it's South Beach and it's the sunshine and the grass and the bikinis. I don't know if that's his thing. But I, I get the Miami thing. And I think Flores is a, a coach on the rise. And look what he did with the Dolphins last year. is an amazing job. But in Houston, you know, they, they have no first-round pick. They traded it away to Miami, funnily enough. The Jets thing has to be because it's New York and he just wants to play under the bright lights of the Big Apple. I mean, it's got to be it. And there's, you know, a coaching connection here and there. But for one, Watson must not only approve now of his future team, thanks to the no trade, but the Texans have to approve to it as well. Are the Texans going to ship him to the team of his choice just to get rid of him? We saw that before with San Francisco because T.O., who... <clears throat> obviously, as a Hall of Fame wide receiver, he wanted out. And so the Niners said, OK, we uh, we traded you to the Ravens. And he goes, I don't want to go to the Ravens. I want to play with Donovan McNabb. So remember the Niners had to say, oh, our facts didn't get in in time. It's like anything you say, just leave. <laughs> well, can I take this? Take everything you want, but leave. So if the Texans... Are looking for a compensation package. For the Jets, obviously, they'd be taken on Sam Darnold. And when you say you give up Deshaun Watson and you get Sam Darnold back, plus picks, you're going to get a lot of picks. But that's like some taking away your G.I. Joe and giving you a raggedy ant. Uh, how do I play with this? This isn't cool. Now, the other thing is, to a tag of low who did not look good as a rookie. He didn't look too, and, and a lot of rookies don't look good, but you look for someone who's going to improve, and Tagovailoa kind of got worse and got benched multiple times. So if you think about how good the Texans were not that long ago, Bill O'Brien and Watson and Hopkins, everything was a you know, playoff team. Remember, they, they beat the Raiders when they had to throw Connor Cook out there. So, <clears throat> you know, you just think about, uh, uh, you know, certain legends saying, don't paint you, don't let them paint you in a corner. you got to get out. So now he officially wants out. Now, speaking of quarterbacks, we know that Matt Stafford is now available. And according to Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network, one third of the league, that's at least 10 teams, have reached out to talk to the Lions about a trade. So. The Lions will obviously get a first-round pick. It's just a question of what else will they get. And 12 years Matt Stafford has been with the Lions since he was number one overall pick. And as I said to me, Matt Stafford will miss three or four games with like a rib or a knee, and then he'll throw for 4,000 yards. That's just what he does. And I think about some of the guys who, like, talking to Herman Moore. If Herman Moore had played in a bigger city, I was almost scared to ask him that question, like I was going to insult him. And he said, no, everyone's told me that. If I hadn't played in the the Silverdome or Ford Field, that I would actually be more well-known for my talents. But it's a new regime in Detroit. The GM, some guy named Brad Holmes. We know about Dan Campbell. As a coordinator, and now he's talking about biting kneecaps off. That will stay with him forever. It just will. And Stafford's 34 years old, and he did throw over 4,000 yards, 26 touchdowns, and just 10 picks, Uh, 64% completion. He's the, the, the franchise leader in just about every category, although he's only been to one Pro Bowl, and that was seven years ago. Um, but the guy just drops back and throws. Twice he's led the league in attempts. He did get the Lions to three playoffs. and um, But still, uh, the Lions haven't won a playoff game since 1991. So if you just think about the last three years, Detroit has been 14-33-1. And, and Matt Patricia and... You know, I said at the time when they hired Patricia, you don't want to judge a book by its cover. You don't want to judge anybody by how they look. But there's something about a guy who's completely sloppy. It's okay. I don't mind a coach that's fat. Otherwise, I wouldn't have Andy Reid. But a guy who wears a backwards baseball hat and then has this giant, enormous beard. He looks like one of your drinking buddies or a guy you'd play softball with. You know, a guy at a bowling alley. And but you think, hey, that's his thing, man. It's like, okay, well, like I said, if that's his thing, then cool. Go with it. But I just (laughs) I'm like, you're going to you're going to show up to your interview with a backwards hat. All right. Well, the Lions went for it and uh, it didn't work out. But one third of the league. Well, Houston, it looks like they're going to need a quarterback. Is Ben Roethlisberger retiring? I like what they said in Green Bay. They said the exact same thing I said when I said they're not stupid. They're going to hold on to Rodgers, who's under contract for a few more years. And what did they say in Green Bay? We're not idiots. Aaron Rodgers isn't going anywhere. You're just going to have to kiss his behind. They're going to have to go to go Aaron Rodgers and say, what do you want this off season? Please just tell us. Please, Aaron, please. All right. When we come back, we'll talk a little comedy with the talented and hilarious Eliza Skinner. We'll do that next on Sports File.
4: Call Quit Drugs 321 now at 800-338-6906. 800-338-6906. That's 800-338-6906. Paid for by the Detox and Treatment Helpline. Do you need to sell your home? If you've sold a home before, you remember how stressful and expensive it was. Sold.com is here to help you sell your home for the most money and with the least amount of stress. and easier than you ever thought possible. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 800-449-1759. 800-449-1759. 800-449-1759. Again, that's 800-449-1759.
11: Where did you get those clothes? At the toilet store? Right
10: I'm so disgusted by Rick Tittle that I find him very intoxicating.
2: Well, thank you for that, and uh, welcome back to the show. <clears throat> Excuse me, Rick Tittle with you. Coming up in the next segment, Sports Illustrated writer Stephen Cannella will be here to talk about the uh, February uh, issue. But very uh, excited now to be uh, joined by the lovely and talented stand-up comedian and actress Eliza Skinner. She's going to be part of uh, Festpocalypse, which is uh, what they do with uh, Sketchfest. They take all the great performers that we love so much, and they're all going to go at the same time, 5 o'clock Pacific and 8 o'clock Eastern um, at uh, sfsketchfest.com this Saturday, uh, I should say. Eliza, welcome to the uh, show. What can you tell us uh, you, you will be doing as part of Festpocalypse? Hey,
12: um, I am going to be doing a teeny tiny uh, version of Doug Loves Movies, uh, Doug Benson's game show and podcast and live show.
2: (laughs) I think it's funny that I had Doug on last week, and I tweeted out what time I was going to have him on, and he actually tweeted back and said, are you sure? And I had it wrong, and I thought the irony of a guy who's famous for being high (laughs) 24-7 knew the (laughs) time better than I did. A little ironic.
12: Yeah, I will say the last time that I um, ha- I, I was on a Zoom with him uh, at 4, like 19 on the dot, he was like, I got to go, goodbye. And everybody was like, what, bye? Oh, wait. oh I guess he had something else to do. And then we all noticed the time. We're like, oh, okay, yes. This is his holy time.
2: That's no doubt about it. Um, when you were on the, on the way up, um, and I just was interested, like, when you got JFL... How huge was that, and, and what was the set where they came up to you after and said, you got it, you're going to Montreal?
12: Um, well, yeah, it was, it was very exciting getting JFL, because it felt like um, it was you know the, the, just, just going up one level in your career, like the, the grown-ups are noticing you, basically. Um, and the set, but I will say that by the time that I got it, I had just done, a late night set on the Pete Holmes show. And that was and a variation on that set was what they liked. So I had to kind of like change some things around, but yeah, it's, it's, it it was, it was a good year for me, but it, um, I, I, everything was sort of happening at once in my FJFL class was, um, uh, Hassan Minaj also. So like he exploded right after that too. It was, it was a, it, it was an exciting time.
2: I've heard at at JFL you don't ever want to be caught wearing your lanyard. Like that's a rookie move. Did you? What were some of the other oh, things no. you learned about? No
12: one told me that. I was definitely wearing <laughs> mine. And then I went back and did a gala for for a TV set there a couple of years later, and I wore it again. Um, yeah, I, I I'm I'm so cool. I can be a dork. I think is my life philosophy. Like I, I, I'll. I'll set the uh, the rules on, on lanyards for myself and make the crowd follow me. Um, but the the JFL is just so fun. You're walking around the streets and there's crazy stuff happening and like street performers and um, you're running into other comics from all over the world. It's it's it is a a really fun experience. Um, the parties are a little overwhelming. Because um, then you're not out in the street. You're crushed into a bar, and it, it, you're like, "What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to act like people should take me seriously, but not too seriously? Because I'm a comedian, so not serious <laughs> but serious." Um, and that could be a real brain teaser,
2: mm. but it's great. But you mentioned the Pete Holmes show. I like that show. I I love Pete. He's been in the studio here, and and of course, crashing as a. Like, a, a great mm-hmm. show, but you get on late night, and you know I saw your Corden set as as well, and and it it used to be those things were like life changing. I mean, well, are they still that type of thing when you know you're going out to millions of people?
12: No, not really. <laughs> not really. <laughs> um, well, but also people don't watch late night shows the way that they used to, right? That was right. everybody would watch, <laughs> would know what had happened on Carson the night before. I'm told. Um, or yes. Arsenio Hall, I'm am, I am told. Um, and now, when I tour, when I get off a plane in some city and somebody from the club, usually a, a younger comic, comes and picks me up, or if I go to a festival and I run into some younger comics, or, or just fans, whatever, no one ever says, Wow, I loved you on Corden, I loved you on Pete Holmes. They say, I loved you on Never Not Funny, I loved you on Comedy Bang Bang, on uh, Put Your Hands Together, on all the podcasts. Um, and, and radio shows, and they, that's what people are listening to, and, and it, I think, makes, like, a, a closer relationship, that parasocial uh, close friendship between the performer and the, the audience.
2: I like that parasocial. We're speaking with Eliza Skinner. He'll be part of Festpocalypse on Saturday, and we have something in common, kind of, You're from Richmond, Virginia. I'm from Richmond, California, so we got that going
12: for us. Richmond's Unite. Perfect. We need to get somebody from uh, Richmond, England.
2: (laughs) Yes, love Richmond, England. More posh than our Richmonds, I'll tell you that. Yeah,
12: yeah. It's got a river like mine. I know
2: that. (laughs) Speaking of uh, jolly old England, a little bit farther north into Scotland, um mm-hmm. Edinburgh Fringe you did that one as well and that one to me is because uh, I know sometimes you might stay there for like a month right how was it for you oh yeah uh
12: it was it was gr- really fun but grueling yeah it's a month and the show that I, I, did, I did it for two years uh, in a row and the show I was doing was a musical improv show so I was singing my face off as well as being funny every night and it, you know that's that's pretty hard um, day after day after day. And uh, like the first year, the weather was fine. The second year, it just rained the whole time. So you're just wet for a month and everybody's drunk and uh, you have to flyer your shows. I did learn a lot about self-promotion there because you have to go up to people and give them flyers for your shows, just strangers uh, constantly. Um, And that's, that made me want to, unzip my skin and walk right out of it. Like, that is not in me. And when I first started, I remember going up to people and being like, hello, uh, yes, I'm, we're doing this show. We've been really highly rated. Um, you, should, you should come to see it. And they're like, well, is it good? And I remember saying, well, you know what? I like it. You should come and see it and find out for yourself. And they're like, sounds like sh-. you need to learn how to sell your show. And I was like, ah, Okay. And so I had to get a crash course real fast and just being like, yeah, oh, it's the best show in town. If you miss this, you're crazy. Um, Because Americans do, that's not how we,
2: that's not how we work. Um, So you you think I'm in Edinburgh, I've made it. And they go, get out in the rain and bark yourself.
12: Yep. Yeah. And that's (laughs) actually how a, a lot of people, a lot of performers Unless they have, I think there are also situations where you, where you pay people to do that for you. That was not the situation I was in. But um, a lot of people can have bad experiences at Edinburgh because they they expect their name to be meaningful. And it's like, well, your name isn't as meaningful as the weird snake clown lady who just crawled up to somebody and gave him a handful of candy and was like, come to my show. I'm like, well, wow, I, I want to see what's happening here. And I, 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 you're up against craziness there.
2: What is uh, your participation uh, with, uh, um, well, I just—I already asked you that. What, what I mean is that uh, when you tape these things for a show like, like Festpocalypse, I just wonder about the technical and uh, behind it. Do you have to, like, zoom it, and then you record it, and then you air it? Is that how it works? Uh,
12: yeah, that, well, we zoom it, and then they're all recording it on their side and, um, you know, editing it so that we can riff and have have a lot of fun and still stay within their time frame and then yeah they they string it all together and then we kind of premiere it all together so
2: what's next for you what should we look for you
12: oh boy well um what is next i'm i'm in colorado (laughs) um (laughs) uh, well i'm doing actually my first live show outdoors um Uh on February 10th in Denver uh, with the Grolix So that should be fun.
2: Bring a and, snow jacket.
12: Yes, exactly. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm working on some new podcast stuff. So hopefully I'll have something out soon. But follow me on social media, on, on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Eliza Skinner.
2: There she is, Eliza Skinner. Make sure to check her out at Festpocalypse. And the list of uh, talent is absolutely amazing. It's all of Sketchfest crammed into... One night, Saturday, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 on the East Coast, and you can go to sfsketchfest.com to check it out. Eliza, thanks for coming on the show, and uh, hopefully we'll see you in person someday.
12: Yeah, thanks for having me. Have a great day.
2: <laughs> okay, no doubt. And, uh, by the way, um, we, Eliza and I were talking earlier about JFL. That's a It's it's just for laughs, and it's a young comedian competition um, which takes place in, in Montreal. And every year they bring up you know, just a handful. And um, you know, I've seen documentaries on this. It's just basically two guys. They'll go down to New York and they'll watch somebody set. And they'll go, not yet. And then somebody, you might do it five, six years. And they go, not ready yet, not ready yet. They go, okay, you can come. It's a huge deal to get to JFL. All right, I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back on the other side. We'll talk to Sports Illustrated, Stephen Cannella.
13: they when they a They promise to to apart. I wonder if my parents will ever be apart from
3: 800 439 7851, 800 439 7851, 800 439 7851, 800 439 7851.
14: Oh, come now, don't be ashamed. We all have our idiosyncrasies.
10: I wish you would try and slap Rick Tittle's mama's face. He would clown you.
2: Yeah, what's that all about? All right. Hey, welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you coast to coast around the globe on uh, American forces. It's our pleasure to welcome back to the show, Stephen Cannella of Sports Illustrated. And we're here to talk about the uh, new February issue that's uh, coming out here. Um, Stephen, before we get into that, it's just funny. I had um, yesterday on the show, Clint Hurdle and, you know he's in his 60s. I'm in my 50s, and I told him about, I remember when I was in the eighth grade and he was on the cover, and it said, you know, the next new phenom, Clint Hurdle of the Royals, and we just talked about how huge it was to get on the cover of SI, and he said, yeah, well, back then there were three magazines: Time, Newsweek, and SI. So um, to me, I hold SI in such great reverence, and it is still surviving uh, to this day. But it's it's hard in the magazine biz, isn't it?
15: It is. And, uh, thanks for having me back, Rick. Uh, Good, good to be with you today. And, um, yeah, I remember that cover well, too. And, uh, I think, you know, the great thing about SI's history is that, uh, everyone's got their own personal Clint Hurdle cover that they, they either, if they weren't on it, they remember it as a reader and and it really resonates. Yeah, sure. The magazine business has, has changed, no doubt. Um, in some ways, though, you know, it's funny. I find as excited as Clint Hurdle was when he was on that um, on that cover, and I can't speak firsthand. That was uh, that was before my time at SI, but uh, you know today's athletes are just as excited, if not more so, to to be on the cover. And in some ways, I think that's that is a, that is a really positive reflection of what the magazine business is and what sports media has become. In that. You know, everyone can be online. Everyone's their own content creator. Everyone has a social media uh, feed, and and is you know has their face out there twenty four hours a day. When you're on the cover of something like Sports Illustrated uh, in 2021, it's it's sort of the ultimate affirmation that you stand out from the from from that crowd. And uh, we we find um, not just with our readers and our audience, but with the people we cover, um, that that cover is still still a really really powerful piece of real estate, and you know we'd like to think it, it has uh, as much power as it did uh, back when we were weekly back in the Clint Hurdle days.
2: Very cool, and I know some people talk about the jinx. I always like to point out that when I was in high school and my Raiders beat the Chargers to go to Super Bowl fifteen, which I was lucky enough to go to in New Orleans, but the cover of Sports Illustrated said, had Mark Van Egan scoring a touchdown, and it said, bring on the Eagles. All my friends were like, Oh, what a jinx and I'm like, Hey, we won the Super Bowl. There is no jinx. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the jinx is uh, the jinx
15: has always been there for uh, people who uh if, if you need an easy excuse for why you couldn't perform the FA jinx is always there for you. But uh, you know, as as many as many people as we jinxed over the years, um uh you know, we've we've uh, we've worked out pretty well for some people too. I don't think anyone thinking uh, we no no one thinks we to flip around James by putting him on the cover when he was seventeen years old.
2: Yeah, or the Astros, you know, saying yeah. they're going to win in three years. Yeah, exactly. uh, let's yeah. talk about this uh, this issue because speaking of the Super Bowl, you do discuss the curse of the runner-up, and yeah. and look, I can think of my team, I can think of everybody's team. When you lose the Super Bowl, there's the stigmata of. You know, no one remembers who went 2-14. and 14. Those are the teams that stunk. If you lose the Super Bowl, you're the biggest loser in the world. Like, people think the Buffalo Bills under Kelly and Marv Levy, that they stunk. They won four AFC championships in a row. What is it about that hangover?
15: Yeah, I mean, you know, you talk about the Bills. They accomplished something that, um, you know, Probably of that era, in some ways, every other franchise in the NFL <laughs> was envious of, even of some of those teams that that won Super Bowls in in, in those eras. Um, it's incredibly hard to get to the Super Bowls. Um, so what you see when you when you get there and when you lose, it's not just you know. Greg Bishop writes an amazing story, talking to you know, all kinds of people from uh, from Dan Quinn of the, of the Falcons a few years ago. Um, John Lynch, GM of the 49ers, who, of course, lost last year and then had a really hard time and during the 2020 season, Uh, going all the way back to Kevin Dyson um, of the Tennessee Titans. Um, You know, it's kind of like a – it's an emotional and it's that spiritual and it's a soul-crushing moment um, in that you know how hard it is to get to that game and you don't know if you're going to have another chance to win a championship. So, you know, it sort of casts a pall over the franchise that way. There are also some more mechanical aspects at play here. You, you find a lot of teams that sort of, um, Greg calls it the all in effect in the story. Teams that sort of load up their roster, spend a ton of money, you know, go all in on guys hoping, um, and maybe some veterans hoping you have, you know, everyone has a career year and that can get you to a championship. And then if you fall just short, um, now you're left with a roster that's old and expensive and maybe a little broken down and maybe a little bit past their prime. And you, you took your one shot and you missed and now, now it takes, yeah, you know, for some, some franchises, it takes four or five years to rebuild from that. So, you know, there's there some real-world effects here that we found. There are some sort of, you know, um, more intangible sort of spiritual and emotional effects we found. But, uh, you know, the curse is real, and um, we can see that with uh, a lot of the teams that have lost in, recent, in uh, recent years.
2: You mentioned Dyson tackled on, what was it, the one-yard line by Mike yeah. Jones. Greatest yeah. tackle of all time, maybe?
15: Oh, gotta be. <laughs> it's gotta be. Uh, if not the greatest, definitely, uh, the best on the biggest stage. I can't think of a, a one in a, uh, a, you know, a play like that at a, at a, bigger moment than that. That was, um, depending on which side of the, a fandom you're on at that, at that moment, that was either, uh, the greatest
2: play ever or,
15: uh, um, you know, the worst moment, uh, in your, in your fandom life.
2: Right. By the way, Mike Jones, running back at Missouri, Al Davis turned him into a linebacker. Just thought I'd throw that in there. Speaking with (laughs) Stephen Canella. Out in the history here. I like it. (laughs) Um, Also, in the uh, February issue, there's the hot topic that seems like it's been hot for a better part of a decade now, and that is uh, amateurism at the college ranks and should the NCAA be paying their athletes? We know they make money off them with jersey sales and other things. We know that. You know, we had the Ed O'Bannon case uh, out here in, in in Oakland a few years ago for the video game. We know that uh, um, a couple of years ago the Northwestern team was going to boycott the season and football team unless they got paid. Where where are we right now with all that? Yeah, so um, yeah, you're
15: right. This is a this is a, uh, not just name image, image and likeness, but the idea of college players um, needing needing to be more protected possibly as a as almost a, as a as a class of workers this has been something that's kicking around for a long time and uh, so we're we're really honored to have senator cory booker uh wrote a piece for this issue um on why he's supporting uh legislation uh, in the senate for uh to to enact a, a a college players bill of rights basically so you know this is something that would go far beyond just the ability to market your name on uh, your name on a jersey if you're Trevor Lawrence, so, or to be able to uh, be in a commercial or something like that. This is this is legislation that would not just codify uh, the NCAA's name and image and, log- and likeness rules, but also, you know, um, impose some enforceable guidelines around how college athletes get support for uh, health and safety. Uh, if you're hurt while playing in college, you know, rather than just have your scholarship taken away from you and thrown, thrown to the wolves, you know, making sure that you're supported, um, medically and financially, not just while you're in college, but, uh, after, after you leave school, um, you know, making sure, and, and, and in addition to all that, um, working to build a structure for uh, players to actually be compensated directly for their contributions, uh, what, you know, what they do not just on the field but the way they contribute contribute to the um, overall economics of their schools. So, you know, Senator Booker is a former college football player at Stanford. He knows all sides of the story really, really well. Um, and, yes, where we stand in this debate that's been going on for a long time, I, I think there's growing public support for the idea of college players being paid i mean are there are a lot The devil's gonna be in the details uh on how much they get paid is it a standard stipend does trevor lawrence make the same as, as the backup offensive tackle um those are all issues that need to be worked out worked out but i think you know due to the work of people like cory booker and, and lots of others i think over the next 10 years we're going to see college athletics look um, a lot different for, from a player standpoint than they have for the last uh, you know 100 years
2: Corey Booker's girlfriend is Rosario Dawson. That's not too bad either. I'll just throw that in there for Cory. Um, we're, you know, I remember the, the Governor Newsom out here in California said, yeah, we're going to give you guys some sort of compensation. It's not going to begin this year, though. It's going to take a few years. And then people at the NCAA said, this is going to destroy college sports. And then a couple other states said, yeah, we will, too what what is your thought on that i mean are we going to give signing bonuses to high school seniors and have a bidding war
15: yeah i mean like i said the devil's going to be in the details on on how this sort of new economy is built and it's got to have to be it can't be a total free market it's got to be a much more regulated system than i think um, you know we see in other other areas of labor law you're right you don't want you don't want bidding wars you don't you know you don't want Alabama being able to, because they're a monster athletic program, being able to pay people a lot more than um, I don't know Cal State Fullerton. Let's say, right. but at the same time, let's not let's 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 all be clear-eyed and let's be honest about this. That's happening, <laughs> and if we think the big big time schools, we, we, if we think college programs are not offering very quietly offering incentives, financial and otherwise, to try to get prize recruits to come to their schools. Um, you're made a little naive, probably. So that's not to say you should just legalize, you know, the activities that, you know, legalize the shadiness, but at the same time, uh, if you open up that system and then you sort of let the sunlight shine in there, I think in some ways this can go a long way toward cleaning up, um, you know, some of the ethics and some of the, some, of the, some of the scandals we've seen in college sports over the years uh, not lead to more of them.
2: Just have about a minute left. I know you guys also cover March Madness, and and I guess they're going to do a bubble in Indy. Is that the plan?
15: Yeah, so um, rather than have regional sites spread around the country, uh, the entire tournament's moving to, uh, in in and around Indianapolis, I think it's seven arenas. I forget the exact number, but it's going to be a really cool experience because you're going to have a lot of teams all all, uh, in a very compact spot. I think the tournament's going to be compressed into a little less time maybe two, you know, two weeks instead of three weeks so it's going to be unique uh, as most things are in, in this uh, in this day and age uh, in, in in the COVID era but um it's going to be logistically it's going to be a feat for the ncaa to pull off but i think that has a chance to uh, really be a cool experience not just for people watching on tv but for the players themselves
2: There he is, Stephen Canella from Sports Illustrated, SI.com. Make sure to pick up the February issues. We just were talking about jam-packed with uh, sporting, entertainment, and issues as well, and great photography as always. Stephen, thanks for your time, man. Let's catch up down the road. Yeah, thanks, Rick. Talk to you soon. All right, I'm Rick Tittle. We'll take a quick break and come on back on Byline.
4: That's 800-880-7167. Paid for by Airtime Media.
7: Matthew. Oh,
12: sorry.
7: It's okay. I just need you to listen to me.
4: I
12: know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me.
16: I mean, let's be honest.
10: No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you. And I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years
6: For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. If you or a loved one is suffering from a physical or emotional condition that has left you unable to work, then listen carefully. Take this number down, 800-593-7491. That's 800-593-7491. Don't wait another minute to see if you may qualify for your Social Security disability benefits. Call Pinnacle Disability Group at 800-593-7491 for your free case evaluation. That's 800-593-7491. 800-593-7491. Call now. Wait! She must have meant
0: 10 o'clock at night. Do you think? Why would she have you meet her
18: in a bar at 10 in the morning?
0: (laughs) I just figured she was a raging alcoholic.
10: I wish you would try and slap Rick Tittle's mama's face. He would clown you.
13: All right. Seems we may have lost Rick to the ether again. Oh, I hear little things there. Ricky there.
2: We'll have Mary Davis and Denise Woods. And in the third hour, Lorraine Newman. And uh, Robert Smigel, you might remember a couple of years ago. That's my bad, by the way. Uh, Dominic had my uh, mic off there. Um, you might remember a few years ago when the NHL had to um, bail out, basically, the Arizona Coyotes. They had no owner. The league owned them. Uh, and then the Buffalo Sabres, they filed for bankruptcy. That led to the lockout, and that said, no more big contracts. And they came back, and immediately Minnesota gave Parisi a huge contract. But anyway, it's like, no more big contracts. People thought, let's change the rules. Let's make the goals bigger. Let's make them bowed out at the side. Luckily, they didn't do that. But, you know, for a lot of leagues, this pandemic has hit leagues hard, and it's hit the NHL very hard because the Sports Business Journal reported today that the NHL borrowed a billion dollars from banks and then distributed it to the 31 teams. Remember, we will have a 32nd team next year with the Kraken in Seattle. But uh, what it equaled out to is about every NHL team got a $30 million loan. Gary Bettman said, we have made some financial arrangements that make sure our cash flow is what it needs to be, although that's not money, that's debt. Our clubs, our owners are having to write checks. And so while there's an economic consequence to playing a season, all of our owners and all our, our clubs are in a position to weather it. Yikes. A billion dollars. The NFL could make a billion dollars off nachos. The NHL, it's kind of a big deal. All right, it's a big deal these next two hours, so come on in and be a part of it. one 800 a play Come on back.
6: USA Radio News with Lance Pride.
19: The Biden administration is set to ban new leases on oil and gas drilling on federal lands and waters for one year. The American Petroleum Institute projects one million job losses could occur by 2022. Currently, the gas and oil industry provides 10.3 million jobs in the United States, with workers making an average salary of $101,000 a year. The Biden administration says job losses that occur in the oil and gas industry will be made up by those created in renewable energy. John Kerry, who serves as the presidential envoy for climate, told petroleum workers that they can be the people to go make solar panels. At roughly $35,500 a year, that would be a $66,000 a year pay cut. Actress Cloris Leachman has died in her Encinitas, California home Tuesday of natural causes. She was 94. This is USA Radio News.
20: Could an ancient mystery be determining the events of our time? Could it reveal the secret of our future? Are recent events a warning that we are approaching judgment? How much time do we have left? Author Jonathan Kahn releases the book that reveals what could not be revealed until now. His newest New York Times bestseller, The Harbinger 2, The Return. Embark on an epic journey to uncover the mysteries and revelations that are changing the world and will change your life. Available online and wherever fine books are sold.
1: Balance of Nature's Fruits and Vegetables in a Capsule, changing the world one life at a time.
19: You guys, your customer service and everything, you guys are great. And the commercials talk about it, but I don't know if it really gives it true justice. People need to know this is maybe the most amazing product I've ever tried. It's so pure. It tastes so good. I'm just blown away by it.
1: Balance of Nature is now offering 35% off on any new preferred order. Go to balanceofnature.com today and use discount code... USA.
19: A suspect accused of shooting and injuring a Harris County Sheriff's deputy has been captured. 37-year-old Moises Martinez, who was identified as the primary suspect on Tuesday, was detained following a four-hour manhunt in North Harris County. Martinez reportedly had two felony warrants out for him. According to court records, one of Martinez's warrants dates back to October of 2020 when he was taken into custody after a five-hour standoff. Records state the standoff started when Martinez's mom accused him of robbing her. New York Democrat Governor Andrew Cuomo was ridiculed for blaming COVID-19 deaths on incompetent government. Without mentioning his own administration's controversial nursing home policy that's been accused of leading up to more than 8,700 senior deaths. During a Tuesday appearance on MSNBC, Cuomo put all the blame on President Trump's mishandling of the pandemic. If you have friends who reference Mercury Retrograde, it is a thing, and you can learn more about it on the Farmer's Almanac website. Mercury Retrograde starts back up on January 30th. USA Radio News.
11: Hi, this is Wyatt Cox. Each and every day, the USA Radio Network produces three hours of the greatest radio programs of all time comedies, drama, suspense. It's all there. Classic radio theater. Now, if your radio station doesn't carry the program, You can find them anywhere podcasts are served, including iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker. Just search for USA Classic Radio Theater. Find it. USA Classic Radio Theater. You'll love it.
19: The National Football League announced Wednesday 22-year-old Amanda Gorman, the country's first national youth poet laureate, who won widespread praise at President Biden's inauguration, will recite another poem before Super Bowl 55 in Tampa Bay, Florida. The Super Bowl will be played on February 7th. The famed Doomsday Clock will remain the same as it did in 2020. USA Radio News'
13: Dan Naraki has more. The Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists revealed the latest setting of the clock Wednesday, announcing it remained at 100 seconds to midnight. First used in 1947 to visualize how close the world was to nuclear destruction, the clock represents how close humanity could be coming to a global catastrophe. President and CEO of the Bulletin Rachel Bronson explained the role that COVID-19 played in keeping the clock at its closest setting since it was first unveiled. The
17: pandemic serves as a historic wake-up call, a vivid illustration that national governments and the international organizations are unprepared to manage complex and dangerous challenges like those of nuclear weapons and climate change, which currently pose existential threats to humanity or the other dangers, including more virulent pandemics and next-generation warfare that outside that could threaten civilization in the near future.
13: From the USA Radio News Ohio Bureau, I'm Dan Naraki.
19: As of February 2019, the Doomsday Clock is located in the lobby of the Bulletin offices at the University of Chicago in Chicago, Illinois. For USA Radio News, I'm Lance Pry.
4: That's 800-410-4771.
13: Rick Tittle knows his
4: sports.
1: I hate that guy. I love that guy. Oh my gosh, he's so fine. Rick Tittle brings home the bacon, fries it up in a pan, and then he eats it. Ricky
13: T in the hizzle for shizzle, biznatch.
2: Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And welcome back to Tittle ending Sports with Rick Tittle. I am your eponymous host coming to you from my house on the Oakland side of San Francisco Bay. Dominic Jimenez at the controls in our normal studios there in uh, North Beach, but uh, cobbling the show together as we have done for what, like 10 months now? This is what happens in the old pandemic, quarantine situation, elevation, sensation, titillation. Let's talk some sports, football, basketball, baseball, hockey, soccer, golf, tennis, auto racing, boxing, Olympics, credit, the ball, chess, checkers, rugby, cricket. I mentioned Olympics, and you know over the years that uh, we have spoken to a lot of people who have been in the games of the Olympiad and Special Olympics as well, and coming up after this segment, we will have Mary Davis, CEO of Special Olympics International uh, as well, looking forward to uh, Speaking uh, with her, also Denise Woods, uh, her new book, The Power of Voice. And then uh, in the uh, third hour, uh, we will have uh, the great Lorraine Newman. She comes back to the show. She was in the SNL original cast and was there for a few years. And uh, then at 1140, the comic genius of Robert Smigel. Think about SNL, uh, early days, the head writer of Conan. Uh, He was the uh, Dana Carvey show head writer. He was Triumph the Insult Dog. He's done uh, so much uh, comic uh, hilarity over his career, so looking forward to speaking with uh, Robert Smigel. Uh, Also, we are on the American Forces Radio Network, i like to point out, at the top of each and every hour. Because I am a big supporter of our men and women in uniform, whatever branch you are with. Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, National Guard, Space Force, Delta Force. Is there still a Space Force now that Trump is out? I don't know. It's a good question. Sometimes they have these budget cuts. Remember when Clinton tried to get rid of NASA as a budget cut? I would think somebody's going to cut Space Force. I don't know. Maybe they won't. We'll see. Is it the same rankings? Because remember, a lieutenant in the Navy is a captain in the Army. That's two bars. Uh, we'll figure that out later. Um, you can get in uh, also on the email, rick at You can see me on the Twitter, uh, at Rick Tittle. Building Sports with Rick Tittle is the uh, Facebook page uh, to post some blurts. And CRN Digital Plus 2 on your team. So,
14: come on back.
2: Thank you for that. And uh, welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you coast to coast around the world on AFN. It's our pleasure to welcome to the show the CEO of Special Olympics International, Mary Davis. And she's here to talk about the uh, countdown now to the World Winter Games, which will be in Kazan, Russia. Mary, welcome to the show. Um, I had your colleague Tim Shriver on the show a few months ago, and um, uh, it looked like everything is still on course. Of course, with COVID, everything kind of hangs in the balance as well. And it's Hard to deal with, uh, you know, everything going on with all the different foreign countries and all the different protocols. So, where where do we stand right now? As much as we can know.
16: Yeah, well, thank you, Rick. First of all, for having me on the on the show, I'm delighted to have the opportunity, of course, to promote and bring more awareness for our movement, Special Olympics, and uh, glad also that you had our chairman, Tim, on uh, at some point earlier. Um, yeah, you're so right. I mean, obviously, with COVID, it's very difficult uh, to uh, to know and to make decisions. But uh, we were due to hold those World Games in Russia in 2021. That would be our normal cycle then with our summer games in 23. Uh, But we took the decision very early on in 2021 to postpone the games until uh, towards the end of January, just a year from now, 2022. And I think that was the right decision. It was a good thing to do. And we do hope at uh, that stage that you know, the the vaccine will have been uh, distributed in many of the countries where our athletes would be uh, participating uh, in the Games. So we're excited about the fact that it will probably be the first time that uh, all of our athletes and coaches and family members will have the chance to come together in in person. So we're Full on with all of our plans, working with the local organizing committee that has been established uh, now for the past number of months uh, in Kassan. And they're uh, promising us a great uh, show and wonderful uh, competition uh, as well. And our athletes, of course, are training very hard, albeit in a a virtual uh, way. Uh, they're continuing to keep up their their fitness and their training so that they are uh, ready to participate and to go back to competition whenever it's back in person.
2: Great. And the other thing I think a lot of people don't know, especially in America, is that Kazan is a fascinating city, and we got to see it during the, the World Cup. They have a beautiful Ruben Kazan has a beautiful new arena there. And it's not. I think sometimes we in America we kind of think everything is this Soviet blockhouse type of look. But Kazan is very much the Tartar culture mixed in with Russia. It's right on the confluence of the Volga and some other river. It's a it's a fascinating and very sporting city, isn't it?
16: Yeah, absolutely. And the uh, the other thing about it is it's a very young city because it has a big university there and uh, lots and lots of. Students obviously that attend that uh, university. It's regarded actually as the sports capital of Russia, uh, and they have, as you say, uh, Rick. They ha- they have fantastic sports facilities, infrastructure, and uh, and a volunteer base through many of those students that are capable of hosting our two thousand athletes from. Um, you know, over 100, 110, 111 uh, countries. Uh, and we're expecting to have over 3,000 volunteers and, and of course, thousands of fans at that stage, hopefully, that uh, will be um, descending on uh, Kassan to celebrate the abilities of of the athletes and their, their skills and talents that they will show not just on the playing field but in many of the other events that will be happening around the Games that they will participate in uh, also.
2: A couple more questions for Mary Davis with Special Olympics International. I know that with these Games, um, you, you say that you want to transform attitudes about ID in Russia. What do you mean by that?
16: Yeah, well, I think there's a great opportunity, uh, to, to, as you say, to transform the attitudes of uh, people, and um, in in doing so, that the people of Russia will be, and and many other countries around the world will be more understanding of difference, more accepting of difference, and will. Uh, that, that the Games will help to create a more uh, inclusive uh, society for our athletes. Oftentimes, our athletes are marginalized, they're, they're isolated, they're segregated, uh, they're living in institutions in, in many places, including some places in Russia. And we, through the, the Games, we have the opportunity to highlight the abilities and the talents and the leadership qualities that uh, our athletes bring to communities, and to ensure that they can become a more inclusive part of uh, of, of every community.
2: How has the um, program been going there in the in the republic? Because I know you've been in there since the '80s, helping with all that, right?
16: Yeah, it's it's they have. Russia have a very strong program. They have over 130,000 athletes and they have a huge number of events that they host every year. Uh, over 5,000 events, obviously, when there is isn't uh, something like COVID to interfere with the hosting of uh, those, those events. So they're reaching a large number of athletes. And this isn't just in their bigger cities like St. Petersburg or Moscow or wherever. This is all around the, all the various different regions of uh, Russia, uh, but what we do need to do is raise more awareness um, about the program, about Special Olympics, uh, about what the power of sport can do for people with intellectual disability. And of course, we also hope to uh, grow the program uh, through uh, through the hosting of uh, the Games there, because even though 130,000 athletes may seem like a lot, that's really a small percentage of the people with intellectual disability in the in the country uh, so there's an estimated three million of uh, people with intellectual disability. So we want to ultimately give every person with an intellectual disability the choice and the opportunity to uh, participate in Special Olympics and again the benefits uh, from from doing that and so that they can be uh, the very best that they can be.
2: And you're not just an executive; you're very sporty yourself. I see that you know, mother of four, but you've you've run in the New York City Marathon. You've climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and and Mont Blanc. I've I've been on the Matterhorn at Disneyland. I didn't climb the Matterhorn. What what is next on your docket for for sporting accomplishments?
16: <laughs> well, at the moment, I'm Rick. I'm just trying to trying to keep going, trying to keep fit. I mean we're all grappling with uh with COVID and the challenges around that. Uh and uh so I'm out doing a bit of bit of running, some walking uh and and that type of thing just to, to stay fit. So I've no great challenges other to other than to uh, gain my inspiration from uh, from the athletes of uh Special Olympics and uh to ensure that we put our heart and souls into organizing a great event in Kazan in January
2: um, 2022. Yes, uh, one-year countdown, Kazan World Winter Games, and uh, go to SpecialOlympics.org to learn more and to participate. Remember, social media-wise, hashtag choose to include. We have been speaking with Mary Davis, the CEO of Special Olympics International. Mary, congratulations on everything you have going, and uh, best of luck uh, all the way through. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. All right. Open segment on the other side. I'm Rick Tittle. We'll see you in a second on Sports Bio.
4: That's 877 360 0402.
8: Uh, I joined the Army because my father and my brother were in
4: the Army. I thought I'd better join before I got drafted.
3: Son, uh, there ain't no draft no more. There was one?
17: Tittle
10: always
1: goes commando.
2: Thank you for that. We have author Denise Woods on the other side. This segment is open at 1 800 878 Play. Real quick, though, I want to remind you that if you got a timeshare and you feel like you're stuck with it, nobody has more experience of getting you out of that timeshare than the experts at the Newton Group. And I mean, really, why are you paying for something that you're not even using? You, you might have taken a vacation, you know, years ago, and then somehow you ended up signing up for this lifetime of payments. It seemed like a good idea at the time. It's okay. Don't judge yourself. Situations change. And that's why you need to go to the Newton Group. That's right, like Sir Isaac, like Cam. The Newton Group is the nation's oldest timeshare company, uh, and they've stood the test of time. You can trust them. Read the reviews. Everybody's so into reviews now. Well, they have an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. They love them on Rotten Tomatoes. All right, I made that one up. But still, 4.7 out of five stars on Trustpilot. It's just a proven track record. And most Importantly, at all of all, is that it legally relieves you from this financial burden of your timeshare. And getting out of your timeshare is tricky, there's no doubt about it. And that's why I recommend you don't do it by yourself. You got to go with a company you can trust. And nobody, I mean, nobody, just has more experience than the people at the Newton Group because this is all they do, they are experts. And you can find out there's this fantastic step-by-step consumer's guide. And they'll give it to you for free if you call. Even if you decide you don't want to go with Newton, just get the step-by-step guide at least. So for your free consultation and your free consumer's guide to timeshare exit, call 877-WE-DO-EXIT. Once again, 877-WE-DO-EXIT. Don't pay for something you're not using Give them a call at 877-WE-DO-EXIT. Or just go on the internet, newtonexit.com. Once again, newtonexit.com today. All right. Now, speaking of contracts and unwanted contracts, every year in sports, we get some of those. There's no doubt. And I bring that up because I have an email here from Scott. By the way, the email address, rickatsportsbyline.com. He says, Rick, what was the most valuable free agent acquisition of the year besides Tom Brady? <laughs> I was just about to say, Tom Brady, besides Tom Brady. Well, it's a good question. And remember, Tampa Bay had to fork out. They had to give him $50 million for two years. <clears throat> oh, don't forget the incentives, which takes it up to nearly $60 million. But he's paid immediate dividends. There's, there's no doubt. Not just ending a 13-year playoff drought, but getting back to the bowl, you know, what's funny, too, is that, um, you know, the Super Bowl is very protective of their name. Like we have uh, like they should be. And so you'll never see Best Buy or any, you know, big appliance store said, hey, get this TV for the Super Bowl. What do they always say for the big game, you know? And come to Buffalo Wild Wings for the big game or, you know, make sure you cater with McDonald's. Did they do catering? I guess not. For the big game. I saw this this local pizza place down the street from me put a flyer in my mailbox. It said Super Bowl specials. (laughs) Get your pizza for the Super Bowl. So, you know, this is like. A district attorney trying to find somebody selling a dime bag on a playground. You want the kingpin, but I just wonder how big if they'll, I don't want to say the name of the place if they get him in trouble in case someone's listening, but you just wonder how the crack, I just had to laugh, Super Bowl special, they have no idea that they're not allowed to say it. Do you know that there are actually two things, you talk about freedom of speech, which doesn't mean you can yell fire in a crowded movie house, blah, blah, blah. Um, but freedom of speech, uh, when it comes to being on the radio, um, you could think, well, you can say whatever you want. You might get fired. You might say something incendiary. You might ruin your career. You might get your outfit in trouble. There are two statements, one, which comes from a movie and one, another guy says famously that you're not allowed to say on the radio. And every year, especially with my old job, I would get a reminder and saying, just a reminder this guy said it on K-Butt in Omaha, and he had to pay $400,000 uh, out-of-court settlement. And I'm like, just for saying that line from a movie, how is it in America? I'm just, I am just. I took a state and urban politics class uh, in college. I took the communication and law class. How is it, <clears throat> getting off on a tangent here, stand by, that you can't say something, you're not allowed to say something on the air, and then somebody can sue you for saying it. It's because they say it's their intellectual property. Okay, I guess. It's just weird. The one thing that really sticks out for me for law and public policy of communications that I took, and this is, um, I probably mentioned this before a couple times over the years, but when I was in college, there was a case. Uh, the New York Times, and on Sunday they have the New York Times Magazine, like a lot of Sunday papers do around the country, big metropolitan papers. So it's a little something that they throw into the Sunday paper. But the article was, this is in the 80s, why do black men beat their wives? And it showed a picture of a guy on Wall Street, a black guy, in a suit and a briefcase. This guy opens the paper wherever he lives in New York, or connecticut wherever and he uh, he obviously spits out his coffee and his cheerios because it's implies that he beats his wife and this went to the supreme court now you might say privilege racism whatever they said if you're walking down the street people can take a picture of you and put it in the newspaper it wasn't slanderous and i just remember thinking how is that possible that you can take a picture of somebody imply that he beats his wife, and yet he has no recourse to the law. You know, it just it didn't make a lot of sense for me. But I always remember that too. That you know, I remember one time I thought for sure um, I was going to get jumped. <clears throat> I was in Chinatown a few years ago. And I like walking through Chinatown from where I am to get to Union Square just because I grew up loving Chinatown. I loved going. Even when I didn't uh, you know, work in San Francisco as a kid, you'd go there and buy fireworks. And I just thought Chinatown was a lot of fun to buy you know, a lot of garbage toys on the cheap that would break the second you would break it. Um, but anyway, I remember I was walking past some store in Chinatown a few years ago. And I I can't remember what it was, but I saw something hilarious. I wanted to text it to my friend, so I took a picture of it from the sidewalk. I started walking away, and this big Chinese guy came out and with an accent. I won't do the accent because that's racist. But he said, "Hey, you took a picture. You give me a dollar." And I went, and I started walking away, and he got in front of me, and he goes, "Hey!" Just screaming, "You took a picture." You give me a dollar. And I said, I don't owe you a damn thing. And I went around him and I started walking down the street. And I would have bet you a million dollars. And I was waiting for it. That guy was going to jump on my back and try and choke me out. (laughs) But he didn't. It reminded me of when I was in Amsterdam when I was like 19 and 20 and 21, three years. That uh, 18 as well, I guess four years, I was in Amsterdam as a youngster, but there was a a T-shirt in a window of a store and it was uh, Queen Elizabeth, but it was Queen Elizabeth with boobs. So it was a little, even in the 80s, they didn't have Photoshop, but they were able to manipulate Queen Elizabeth's head and then bare boobs. And people would walk by and take a picture of the T-shirt and then they literally had these thugs run out and say, You took a picture. Now you owe us five crowners or whatever it was. Croner, Steve Croner. know you owe us five kroners. That doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me one way or the other. But anyway, this all comes from an email asking me what was the best signing outside of Tom Brady. Well, you know what was a great signing and it was only a one-year deal was Nelson Aguilar? Nelson Aguilar was the Raiders' best receiver this year. He had 900 yards receiving For a million dollars. The only bad thing was. Is that it was a one year deal. And he's a free agent again. But. Oh and also by the way. You know when the Raiders drafted this kid Damon Arnett. I scathed on it on Twitter. And everybody was like you know what you're talking about Tittle. You're an idiot. Get some knowledge. You know before you start tweeting. Why don't you figure out what's real. Well Damon Arnett. Pro football focuses. Worst cornerback in the NFL a guy who was 25 who admitted he didn't like football very much, and now they're talking about how he's not going to start. Mike Mayock said there's no commitment to him in the – he goes, I like his quickness, but he doesn't apply himself. He's not in the weight room. Huh, a guy who said he didn't like football, and they moved up to 19 to get him, and he sucks. In fact, the worst cornerback in football. I think I got that one right. All right, I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back on Sports Blast.
20: It's time for some straight talk. Look, we all know the sound. It happens. Your phone. You
0: fumble it, crack it, splash it. Well, Straight Talk Wireless's new Platinum Unlimited plan includes phone protection that covers those kinds of mishaps. Just 65 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, and data, plus more features, like 20 gigs of hotspot and 100 gigs of cloud storage, all on the best networks. Straight Talk Wireless, no contract, no compromise. See mobile
14: protect terms and conditions at slash Straight Talk, limitations and exclusions apply. Pros bring something extra to every job. Now at the Home Depot, they also get something extra. Pro extra. Our free loyalty program built for pros just like you. Members earn perks with every dollar spent, like Pro Extra dollars, a tool rental credit, and more. New members get $20 off their next in-store purchase of $200 or more just for signing up. Learn more at homedepot.com slash pro extra. New year, more rewards, pro extra, only
18: at the Home Depot. How doers get more done.
4: That's 800-693-8290.
5: It doesn't really matter. I I don't like my job, and uh, I don't think I'm going to go anymore.
10: Rick Tittle thinks there's a direct correlation between dogs and lightning.
2: Welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you coast to coast and around the world on American forces. You know, this medium I am in, of course, the power of voice, the tone of the voice, the inflections, everything in voice. They say they can hear you smile in radio. All those things are under the umbrella of expertise of my next guest, Denise Woods. She is a... uh, a vocal coach, and she has a brand new book which is just out this week called The Power of Voice, A Guide to Making Yourself Heard. It's available from Harper One Publishing. Denise Woods, welcome to the uh, show. When did you find that you were someone that could um, you know, get a level to where you would be an expert in such a thing and teach other people this type of thing? When, when did it evolve for you?
21: The trajectory began when I was 14 and was accepted into the New York City Opera at 14 Mm. in New York. I'm a New Yorker, born and raised, and I started singing opera at 14. And then, by the time I got to the High School of Performing Arts, which the film Fame was based on uh, in the 70s, I read my first Shakespeare play that i that I didn't get the Cliff Notes to. I read the entire play and fell in love with classical text and 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 Shakespeare and the language and the poetry and It was my ear from opera and singing and musical training coupled with the love of 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 couplets and rhyming couplets and poetry that led me to audition for Juilliard, not as an opera singer, but as an actress. And so I was accepted into Juilliard in 1975, and I was two years behind Robin Williams, and I was in Keith David's class. And all of that early trajectory led me to the love of voice, of the speaking voice, not just the singing voice. And so that love of the speaking voice and the student I became at Juilliard, Juilliard invited me back to join the faculty in 1992 and teach voice and speech. And then when I was on faculty for eight years and taught some of the most incredible major actors of this generation, they were just students of mine back in the early 90s, um, it, it, it led me to become a coach and dialect coach for plays in New York and, and films that were filming in New York as a dialect coach. And then I quite loved the the aspect of helping an actor craft a character based on how the character sounded. And so it just led to this wonderful Hollywood career as a dialect coach.
2: It's interesting, too, when I think about, you know, we know about Eliza Doolittle and we know about, you know, George the VI with the King's Speech. that. That's mm-hmm. some pe- that's people with like a, a you know a speaking impediment but I've always been fascinated w- with accents and dialect as well. So you mentioned some of the stars, Mahersha Ali, we actually went to the same college, little St. Mary's out here. I know really? he he's, he's one of your students, he wrote a forward with you. When you're dealing with 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 great actors like that, what are, what are they looking for from you? What are you directing them in?
21: They are looking to, to connect the dots, meaning They're looking for the specificity of why a person sounds the way they sound. Mm. uh, You know, so that it's not just phonetic symbols, or they say this sound, and now we say that sound. We just want to know why um, certain sounds are, um, are indigenous to certain regions of the country and of the world, and not just the, not just the phonetic sound, but where the voice is placed, why people talk the way they talk. In colder climates, people speak a, a specific way, as opposed to people speaking a, a specific way in warmer climates. climates there are so many elements that make up the Constitution, that constitute um, a, a voice and a vocal pattern. And so in doing all of this research and study, I started saying, I need to take this work to the masses. I really need to get out of Hollywood, although it's quite rewarding on so many levels. I just wanted people to be okay with who they were, and how they sounded and the myriad of different influences that that make them sound the way they do and and be okay with it just be able to refine it to add information to it to add add knowledge to to what that sound is because once you know what the sound is and how it's formed when someone tells you oh you know this sound Really is formed with the tongue here, as opposed to there. Once you're equipped with that information and that education, it changes the way you speak, and 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 you you find confidence in it.
2: It's very interesting. We're speaking with uh, Denise Woods, her new book, "The Power of Voice." So many actors in uh, Hollywood now are English or Irish, and they do a great job being Americans. Like, who would have thought that Damian mm-hmm. Lewis was? English when we saw him first in Band of Brothers but you know it's funny the mm-hmm. time I've spent in England it's hard going the other way they talked about you know Tom Cruise worst Irish accent ever Don Cheadle has no I- no idea what he's doing with his English accent why why do we find it harder or do you think that's true for Americans uh, as a group to lump us all together to, to do the other accents I, it's,
21: it, it has nothing to do with that it has to do with the world is so privy to American culture. They have it in their ears from the time they are born. Now, clearly the British have the BBC, but let's talk about Australian actors. Every bit of their television comes, well, I, would, I wouldn't say every bit, but most of it. The majority of the television that they watch is American television. So they grow up with that American sound and their sensibility. So then, you know, if you're growing up hearing it, you can affect it. How often do we grow up hearing Australian accents in in shows that we watch or even British accents when we were growing up? I mean, now, because of the British invasion, we've got much more um, access to British shows and British television than we did, say, in the 60s or 70s. You know, I can think of The Avengers. That's the only show that that (laughs) I saw with these British accents when I was growing up. But, but they have access to, to our dialect, you know, because in terms of film and television, America is the paradigm, Hollywood. And so when you, when you, when you have access to it at a young age, you're able to, to access it more readily.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. I, um, we just have time mm-hmm. for one more question. I know you got to run. Um, as mm-hmm. someone who did theater as a youngster, we, I was always told to, you know, not just enunciate, but to project and let the person in the last row hear you. And I'm sure you got all that and more at Juilliard. Um, but what is mm-hmm. maybe one of the first things, someone comes to you, what, what is one of the first things you look for when you start teaching someone?
21: Breath. Mm. Breath is at the course, at, 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 at the base of all of this coursework. It is, It is. I say, breath is to the voice what gasoline is to a car. If you have no gas in your car, your car goes nowhere. We start with breath because when someone says, I can't hear you, I'm at the back of the theater, and I need you to speak up, what they're actually saying is, I need you to breathe more deeply so that you can power that voice with breath as opposed to speaking from your throat and potentially hurting yourself. You need, if you need more voice, it's crucial that you need more breath. And so in the book, I give exercises to work on breath before we even start talking about the voice.
2: Great stuff. Uh, Remember to check it out, speakitclearly.com online, but pick up the book The Power of Voice, A Guide to Making Yourself, heard from Harper One Publishing. It is brand new. We've been speaking with the author, Denise Woods, who's uh, just so many actors and actresses she has worked with. Denise, uh, congratulations on the effort, and uh, thanks for stopping by. I hope we catch up down the road.
21: I would love to. Thank you.
2: All right. Good stuff. That's Denise Woods, everybody. 1-800-878-PLAY is the number to call. one eight hundred eight seven eight seven five two nine. 878 7529 Just getting back to, um, you know, the, the contracts, as I was talking about before. I love the Aguilar signing. Um, when I think about guys who, you know, got extensions, you know, like, you know, George Kittle, he had a long overdue, you know, I don't want to say long overdue, but he sort of reset the stagnant tight end market because he got $75 million extension. And then right after that, uh, Kelsey signed an extension uh, and up in the money for those two great uh, tight ends. And then I think about just free agent for Tennessee keeping Derrick Henry uh, in house. Uh, Now, they did that with a franchise tag, but that was still keeping him in house. Um, And even I think, you know, when you talk about bringing guys in for a a trade, I mean, the the Stefan Diggs for a first round pick was probably the best one for Buffalo. But there were a lot of eyebrows raised when Indianapolis gave San Francisco the 13th overall pick for DeForest Buckner. And, you know, this was a guy who was supposed to be playing under his fifth year option and they gave him a eighty four million dollar four year extension as well. Well, what did DeForest Buckner do is he went out and he got nine and a half sacks as an interior lineman, you know, which is just behind Aaron Donald. So, you know, DeForest Buckner was just, you know, the Niners had so much talent now that they didn't know Nick Bosa was going to go down right when the season opened. But that was a pretty good one. I'd probably say the the one guy who really had a chance to do something and did nothing was Cam Newton. Cam Newton had a chance to really reinvent himself in New England, keep that train rolling, show everybody that, yeah, I'm not Tom Brady, but I was an MVP myself. And they gave him a one-year deal. And it was worth, what was it, a million and a half with a million incentives? but. You know, he had a foot injury, he got COVID, uh, he had a shoulder injury, and he was so bad that at one point he ended up getting benched, and then he got his job back as well. Um, A lot of people now saying that Ron Rivera might take him back. Of course, they were together when they went to Super Bowl 50 with Carolina, now he's in Washington. But yeah, that would be another one where it didn't really work out when you talk about guys who had a chance to cash in and and didn't do it. I mean, you think about Jadavian Clowney, how long he held out and what did he end up doing. A.J. Green held out, then he got hurt. You know, Vic Beasley at one point was with the Titans and then bounced around. It happens. But probably the Cam Newton one was the one where, you know, going into a free agent year, he really could have got paid if he had done something. Does anybody want Cam Newton at this point? Eh, we'll see in Washington maybe. All right, I'm Rick Tittle. We'll take a quick break and we'll come on back and finish up our 2 of uh, 3 on Sports Bio.
3: 800-439-7851 800-439-7851 800-439-7851 800-439-7851
9: I don't even recognize myself anymore. I'm
10: really worried about him. His addiction. I have not seen him like this. Ever.
9: Hey look, I, I never wanted to start using. I I knew the drill, but I was out of options. I just want to tell him it's not
10: your fault. There are people out there who can help. People who have felt your pain. They know what you're going through.
9: This has to stop. I'm losing everything. Everyone.
10: You've been strong your whole life. You can do this, but you have to reach out for help.
9: It's time. I can do this.
10: Addiction is a disease and diseases need treatment.
9: Call
4: Quit Drugs 321 now at 800-338-6906. 800-338-6906. That's 800-338-6906. Paid for by the Detox and Treatment Helpline.
19: Hey travelers, do you want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call. That's right, call. Because the best prices are not online. They're with SmartFares. See, SmartFares has special deals with the airlines. Also, save up to
6: 50% off business and first-class tickets.
4: 855-325-1780. 855-325-1780. That's 855-325-1780. Uh, what kind of music do you usually have here?
10: Oh, we got both kinds.
8: We got country and western. <laughs>
10: Tittle ate 200 chicken wings at your mama's house last night. Now back to fat boy.
2: You see, you don't realize it hurts my feelings. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, one more quick question is we have an email. Rick at sports This question comes from, uh, JJ, uh, Rick talking about quarterbacks. Taysom Hill did not sign a contract, uh, extension. Would you give up a first round pick for him? you talking about the Raiders? No, uh, I wouldn't because Derek Carr is better than Taysom Hill. Um, but what they did do, the Saints put a, um, a tender on him. So that means if he signs with another team that they would get a first round pick, but they'd have to, to match it. So um, I, I don't know. Uh, it would be... I, I thought he did sign an extension later on. I don't know. I have to check that out. But you know, he started four games when uh, Breeze broke his ribs and think he had a collapsed lung and the Saints did well. I mean, they went like three and one, but I don't know. The Saints have a really crazy salary cap situation right now and they need Drew Brees. I don't think, I mean, if Drew Brees wants to come back, I take him back, even though he had a bad playoff game. I, I obviously take him back for one more year. He can go as long as he wants, but um, he's, they need to say, I'm going to retire, And then if you think about Hill coming back and then, you know, uh, maybe get a deal for maybe like Nick Foles. Nick Foles took a pay cut to go to the Bears and then he beat out Trubisky, but then he didn't beat out Trubisky. But the good thing about Hill is you could probably get him for like $8 million. He's not one of these... 40 million dollar Jared Goff type of guys who by the way the rumors are that the Rams are trying to get out of that now it's a fickle business baby anyway thanks for the email rick at we have another hour together Lorraine Newman and Robert Smigel some SNL ties right there with Festpocalypse I'm Rick Tittle come on back
6: USA Radio News with Lance Pride.
19: The Biden administration is set to ban new leases on oil and gas drilling on federal lands and waters for one year. The American Petroleum Institute projects one million job losses could occur by 2022. Currently, the gas and oil industry provides 10.3 million jobs in the United States, with workers making an average salary of $101,000 a year. The Biden administration says job losses that occur in the oil and gas industry will be made up by those created in renewable energy. John Kerry, who serves as the presidential envoy for climate, told petroleum workers that they can be the people to go make solar panels. At roughly $35,500 a year, that would be a $66,000 a year pay cut. Actress Cloris Leachman has died in her Encinitas, California home Tuesday of natural causes. She was 94. This is USA Radio News.
20: Could an ancient mystery be determining the events of our time? Could it reveal the secret of our future? Are recent events a warning that we are approaching judgment? How much time do we have left? Author Jonathan Kahn releases the book that reveals what could not be revealed until now. His newest New York Times bestseller, The Harbinger 2, The Return. Embark on an epic journey to uncover the mysteries and revelations that are changing the world and will change your life. Available online and wherever fine books are sold.
1: Balance of Nature's Fruits and Vegetables in a Capsule, changing the world one life at a time.
19: You guys, your customer service and everything, you guys are great. And the commercials talk about it, but I don't know if it really gives it true justice. People need to know this is maybe the most amazing product I've ever tried. It's so pure. It tastes so good. I'm just blown away by it.
1: Balance of Nature is now offering 35% off on any new preferred order. Go to balanceofnature.com today and use discount code... USA.
19: A suspect accused of shooting and injuring a Harris County Sheriff's deputy has been captured. 37-year-old Moises Martinez, who was identified as the primary suspect on Tuesday, was detained following a four-hour manhunt in North Harris County. Martinez reportedly had two felony warrants out for him. According to court records, one of Martinez's warrants dates back to October of 2020 when he was taken into custody after a five-hour standoff. Records state the standoff started when Martinez's mom accused him of robbing her. New York Democrat Governor Andrew Cuomo was ridiculed for blaming COVID-19 deaths on incompetent government, without mentioning his own administration's controversial nursing home policy that's been accused of leading up to more than 8,700 senior deaths. During a Tuesday appearance on MSNBC, Cuomo put all the blame on President Trump's mishandling of the pandemic. If you have friends who reference Mercury Retrograde, it is a thing, and you can learn more about it on the Farmer's Almanac website. Mercury Retrograde starts back up on January 30th. USA Radio News.
11: Hi, this is Wyatt Cox. Each and every day, the USA Radio Network produces three hours of the greatest radio programs of all time comedies, drama, suspense. It's all there. Classic radio theater. Now, if your radio station doesn't carry the program, You can find them anywhere podcasts are served, including iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker. Just search for USA Classic Radio Theater. Find it. USA Classic Radio Theater. You'll love it.
19: The National Football League announced Wednesday 22-year-old Amanda Gorman, the country's first national youth poet laureate, who won widespread praise at President Biden's inauguration, will recite another poem before Super Bowl 55 in Tampa Bay, Florida. The Super Bowl will be played on February 7th. The famed Doomsday Clock will remain the same as it did in 2020. USA Radio News'
13: Dan Naraki has more. The Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists revealed the latest setting of the clock Wednesday, announcing it remained at 100 seconds to midnight. First used in 1947 to visualize how close the world was to nuclear destruction, the clock represents how close humanity could be coming to a global catastrophe. President and CEO of the Bulletin Rachel Bronson explained the role that COVID-19 played in keeping the clock at its closest setting since it was first unveiled. The
17: pandemic serves as a historic wake-up call, a vivid illustration that national governments and the international organizations are unprepared to manage complex and dangerous challenges like those of nuclear weapons and climate change, which currently pose existential threats to humanity or the other dangers, including more virulent pandemics and next-generation warfare that outside that could threaten civilization in the near future.
13: From the USA Radio News Ohio Bureau, I'm Dan Naraki.
19: As of February 2019, the Doomsday Clock is located in the lobby of the Bulletin offices at the University of Chicago in Chicago, Illinois. For USA Radio News, I'm Lance Pry.
4: That's 800-410-4771.
16: Rick Tittle knows his sports.
1: I hate that guy. I love that guy. Oh my gosh, he's so fine. Rick Tittle brings home the bacon, fries it up in a pan, and then he eats it. Ricky
13: T in the hizzle for shizzle, biznatch.
2: Thank you for that, and uh, welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you. Got the little echo. There we go, it's gone. Thank you for that. Um, this uh, we got some uh, comic guests coming up. Lorraine Newman back on the show. Uh, Lorraine, of course, uh, one of the original Saturday Night Live members, and she'll be part of Festpocalypse, which will be coming up here in a couple of days on uh, Saturday. We've been hyping it up because we have so many good guests. Also part of Festpocalypse will be... The comic genius, and I don't say that lightly, Robert Smigel, and uh, you might remember him doing those characters on Conan, where he would do the lips, like he would be shorts, and they're gonna be like, ah, Schwarzenegger! You could always, I could always tell when it's Smigel; it's just that voice. <laughs> and of course, remember Duh Pierce? He was one of those guys, which was easy for him since <clears throat> he was a Chicago guy. But we'll talk to uh, Robert Smigel coming up as well. And uh, we'll have an open segment in the middle for your calls at 1-800-878-PLAY. 1-800-878-7529. Get you in and uh, get you heard coast to coast. Uh, also, we can talk about, uh, you know, hot stove. I w- were you surprised that the uh, New York Mets traded New York atts to the Blue Jays? You know, when I first heard that, I was like, wow, I thought Steven Matz was, you know, one of those young guns to go with the Cindergard and DeGrom. And then I didn't realize, because I never saw the National League, hardly this year, with COVID, that his ERA was 9.68 last year. And he gave up 14 home runs. So, <laughs> wow. You know what, though? I'll take him, because I still don't remember how good he was. So... Uh, the Blue Jays paid a pretty price for them, too. Um, some three young uh, players who uh, look got some great minor league stats. So they're taking a little bit of gamble that Mats will regain uh, what he's going on. So uh, we can talk about that as well. Whatever's on your mind. one 800 a play Big salute to the brave men and women on AFN and uh, American Forces Network. Tune in app, iHeartRadio app, Stitcher app. Twitter is at Rick Tittle. Lorraine Newman coming up next. The
3: success of Janet's meal prep business is keeping her from keeping up with customer appetites.
10: Paleo Prep Meals, this is Janet. Yep, you just reheat. But we actually have a wait list currently. Oh, can you hold on one sec?
3: She needs to hire.
10: I need Indeed.
3: Indeed you do. The moment you sponsor a job on Indeed, you get a short list of quality candidates from our resume database. Indeed delivers two and a half times more hires than the other branded job sites combined, according to Breezy HR 2019. Visit Indeed.com slash credit and get a $75 credit for your first job post. Terms and conditions apply.
14: Pros bring something extra to every job. Now at the Home Depot, they also get something extra. Pro Extra, our free loyalty program built for pros just like you. Members earn perks with every dollar spent, like Pro Extra dollars, a tool rental credit, and more. New members get $20 off their next in-store purchase of $200 or more just for signing up. Learn more at HomeDepot.com slash Pro Extra. New year, more rewards, Pro Extra, only at The Home Depot. How doers get more done.
2: Do you own a timeshare but can't use it because of travel restrictions, a change in life circumstances, or perhaps you can no longer afford the monthly payments? or annual maintenance fees. If you feel stuck or you just need to get out of your timeshare, Newton Group is here for you. They are the nation's oldest timeshare relief company, which means you can trust them. Read the reviews. They have an a rating from the Better Business Bureau, 4.7 out of five stars on Trustpilot, and a proven track record to legally relieve you from the financial burden of your timeshare. Getting out of your timeshare can be tricky business, so it's important you go with a company you can trust and nobody, I mean nobody has more experience than the experts at Newton Group. For your free consultation and your free consumer's guide to timeshare exit call 877 we do exit. That's 877 we do exit. Why pay for something you aren't even using? Give us a call at 877 we do exit or visit newtonexit.com today. Thank you for that. Uh, hour number three. Nice to have you with us. And it's always great when Lorraine Newman drops by once again. She's part of Festpocalypse, which you can see on Saturday. Just get your tickets, sfsketchfest.com. It'll be 5%, uh, 5 p.m. Pacific and 8 p.m. on the East Coast. The list of talent is amazing as they take all the Sketchfest people and cram them together for this Festpocalypse. Lorraine, welcome back to the show. I think what a lot of people don't know is that I mean, they know you were part of that first Saturday Night Live crew, but you were also part of the founding of the the Groundlings as, uh, as well. And I remember when Chris Kattan was in the studio with me, he talked about that. And and did his dad start it? How did it all work out?
22: Well, at the very beginning, we were just an improv workshop. Um, we didn't have a name. It was just like it wasn't a show. It wasn't a company. It was just a workshop. And then we we moved theaters to uh, a really nice part of town in West, no, in downtown Hollywood. Um, and we have started doing shows and then came up with a name. His dad, Kip King, who was absolutely one of the funniest people that ever lived, and in fact brought Chris to the theater when Chris was nine years old. I remember meeting him then. Um, he was in a later uh, cast once we had moved but the very beginning uh, it was like people like Jack Sue and Pat Morita and Tim Matheson um, Valerie Curtin who uh, was Barry Levinson's writing partner at the time and also Jane Curtin's cousin I mean there's so many six degrees because of course Tim played the part that was written for Chevy in Animal House It's uh, it's all connected Rick
2: <laughs> well you know, I'm also fascinated by your high school, Beverly Hills High, because I mean, you look at the alums, and it's literally, you know, over a hundred famous people. But when you were there, mm-hmm. did you look across in in history class and and think, "Oh yeah, Daniel Fried will become ambassador to Poland someday"? I mean, did you kind of <laughs> feel? <laughs> did you kind of feel that?
22: Well, I'm class of '70. I don't know, um, actually, don't know the guy that you mentioned because. I just watch Netflix. I get my news <laughs> from Netflix. Um, I brought him know. up because
2: he was in your same class.
22: Oh, really? Oh, my goodness. What's his name again?
2: Daniel Freed.
22: Okay. I, I did not know It's him. been a long time. But I <laughs> He was one of the know... cool
2: kids, obviously.
22: <laughs> yeah, I did know. I mean, when I, when I was a freshman, people like Rob Reiner and Albert Brooks, who was Albert Einstein at the time, They were legends, but they had already graduated. But you know, they were still—they were just like beginning in the world of comedy. And also, I remember seeing a summer production before I went to high school of a show there with Richard Dreyfuss in it, and I never forgot him. But the people in my class, um, the Tolkien brothers, whose father Mel Tolkien wrote on your show of shows, Steve Tolkien was one of my closest friends in high school. But, you know, we had other people like Joanna Gleason, uh, who was Monty Hall's daughter, and uh, Patricia Cummings, who was Bob Cummings. That's a deep dig. I mean, that's a deep dive. I don't know if a lot of people remember Bob Cummings. But, um, yeah, there were a lot of Louis Jordan Jr. was in in my high school. Uh, It was a very interesting, peculiar uh, atmosphere.
2: No doubt. And the other thing, when I think about, you know, you were so young when your television career started. But before that, you know, I think about when I was a kid. I'm in my 50s. You know, Shields and Yarnell was a huge thing. So for you to go to Paris to study with Marcel Marceau, uh, what what was that like? Because we just remember the the movie where he said the S word one time.
22: Uh, <laughs> yeah.
2: What was that like?
22: Uh, that Murdered by Death, I think. Yeah. Um, Yeah, well, you know, when I was 16, I saw him at Royce Hall at UCLA, and I had never seen mime before, and I was really enchanted by the idea of getting laughs with no words. So I went backstage after the show, and I asked him who I could study with in Los Angeles, and he gave me the name of Richmond Shepard. So at the age of 16, I studied mime for like two, two years, but I also learned improv which I didn't know I was going to be exposed to, which was great. So that was when I first learned improv as well. So um, I auditioned for a lot of theater schools in London, uh, was accepted for the preliminary to the final audition, and then rejected by all of them. <laughs> and then um, I went to Paris just to check out Marceau's school, and he said, yeah, join. So I did.
2: That's amazing. A couple more questions for Lor- Lorraine Newman, part of *Apocalypse*. Just recently, I saw the new Belushi doc, and, you know, SNL started when I was 10. I was obsessed with it. I had the first album. I listened to it on my record player and over and over again. So, I, I just, I ate up that Belushi documentary, but I don't know if you saw it. What For you, oh, what's I, it like? Look-
22: I loved it. I just loved it. Okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah, when, um, when you look back at those times and the competition between he and and, and Chevy, and then people saying Chevy was mean to everybody. I mean, does it kind of bring it all back to you, or does it does it feel like 100 years ago or yesterday?
22: Well, first of all, Rick, um, I've written a memoir, mm. <laughs> says the Dowager actress of the small dog, um, that is <laughs> to be coming out on Audible March 11th. And so mm. a lot of atmosphere and behind-the-scenes stories of what went on are in that book that have never been told, um, along with massive adventures after the show as well. But um, it brought, it, it didn't so much bring back anything for me other than the idea that there was an aspect of John that none of us knew. I mean, his letters to Judy um, and also his knowledge of his own problems with addiction and how helpless he felt. In, to deal with it was really moving for me. And uh, I, I just, I, I love that documentary. and I love the way they did it because they had people's voices, but they didn't have them. It was just a right. narrative. And that was so effective, I thought, and the animation too.
2: Yeah, I thought that was a brave way to go about it, but I liked it too. But you know, when, I, I've heard for you when you were in New York, and that's a hard thing to do to to move from California to, to New York when you're 23 or whatever, that you, I, I know you were buds with Gilda, but, you know, you would like sit in the back and play solitaire. You didn't really take to New York uh, in the beginning. Is that right?
22: Um, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, New York's a lonely town when you're the only surfer girl around. And uh, I, I come from a car culture. I know that doesn't seem like it would be an, an aspect of, of adjustment, but it really is because, you know, just getting from one place to another to do mundane things like marketing and dry cleaning, you can't do that in one day. It's utter toil. And the weather was challenging for me. But, you know, I love the work. I absolutely love the work. And the whole thing was solitaire. It was associated with something other than the show. Um, uh, We had some really great times, I've got to say.
2: No doubt. So for Fespocalypse, what's going on with your participation, Lorraine?
22: Well, what I'm doing is it's going to be like the cold opening for the whole event. And the idea was that I would call all my SNL buddies and ask them to do something for the show and all of them giving me lame excuses as to why they can't. So that is, is kind of what it is. And we had to film it like um, in the blind, so to speak, because they had their set pieces that were filmed, and then I had to film reactions. So it's all been cut together like it was an exchange, which it wasn't. But I, I'm, I'm really interested to see... How it turned out. But everybody was so funny. Everybody's excuses were hilarious. I mean, I think Sashir uh, Zameda said that she had adopted 12 dogs and she was going to Alaska to do the Iditarod. And that's why she couldn't help out, you know? It's just great, great stuff.
2: That is Lorraine Newman, always entertaining. Can't wait to see her on Festpocalypse. Remember, go to sfsketchfest.com. The list of uh, talent there is absolutely amazing. It's like a night of 100 stars for real. sfsketchfest.com. It'll be this Saturday, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. on the East Coast. Lorraine, always a delight. Let's do it again soon.
22: Thank you so much, Rick. Have a great day.
2: All right, I appreciate it. we got an open segment coming up and Robert Smigel after that. Come on back.
4: That's
9: 877-360-0402. I'm sorry, it's the, it's the pleats. It's, a, it's actually an optical illusion. It's the pattern on the pants. They, it's not fla- flattering in the, the crotchal region. I'm actually taking them back right now, taking them back to the, the pants store.
10: Tittle is a majestic stallion.
2: So majestic. Thank you for that. And uh, welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you. one 800 a play Coming up in the next segment, Robert Smigel. Comic genius. I've said it a hundred times, but it's true. Um, you know, it, <clears throat> it's funny when um, the stock market gets somehow involved in sports and you think, well, what's that all about and then it somehow it gets involved in video games and I'll probably talk about this Sunday night as well in my video game review show but <clears throat> the whole thing with the owner the new owner of the Mets who's done a great job so far look no further than Francisco Lindor and that's not all he's done but him and GameStop and what that has to do with the Mets there are some Mets fans that are a little bit scared about what's going on. Uh, so the gripping tail that involves a bunch of online people on Reddit and other things saying that this is all going to affect the Mets' payroll. So <laughs> what does this all mean? Well, GameStop, as you may or may not know, is the brick-and-mortar video game merchandise retail store, and online as well. And they basically outlasted everybody else. And there used to be tons of places where you could get video games. And, and GameStop now has deals with so many developers, like buy the game at GameStop, you know, pre-order, get this and that. But <clears throat> GameStop has suffered since the market shifted to DLC, digital downloads, downloadable content. And so in 2019, GameStop lost more than $400 million. And then they closed 300 stores. They closed my GameStop, the one I used to go to, which sucks. Then there was a global pandemic after that, which is still going on, as we know. And so not very long ago, GameStop responded to these financial challenges by... Uh, shuffling the corporate board, which I know nothing about. But they tried to change the business model. And so as a result, the stock price began to rise a little bit. So a number of investors saw that. And they said, well, GameStop's outlook is still very, very grim. So they started to short it. And if you've ever watched the big short or that show Billions on Showtime, it's still confusing to me, but what shorting is, as far as I understand it, it's just betting that a stock is going to go low. And what you do then is, and it's, it's not a common approach, but basically if you short sell a stock, you borrow shares of a stock, and then you sell them right away, and then at an agreed upon date, the investor buys those shares back, and then returns them to where they were borrowed so for an example if you borrowed shares and sell them at five dollars each and then buy them back at three dollars each you've made two dollars per share but if you misread the market and it goes up then you gotta buy them back at seven dollars per share then obviously you've lost two bucks and this is all related to the GameStop stock because In the summer, the stock was trading for $4.33 a share. And then um, two weeks ago, it was selling for $20 a share. And at the close of trading yesterday, GameStop was going for $347.51 per share. So nothing has changed about the fundamentals of where GameStop is right now and the business model but the stock is now going to beyond where eagles dare so it's it's an amazing thing to go from $4 a share in August to $347 a share six months later so you say well why isn't that good why isn't it good for stock to go up. Isn't that great? Everybody profits. No, because those who shorted GameStop um, knowing that they would crash are now screwed beyond belief. And specifically, when a hedge fund, which is named, and I wouldn't give $1 to this group called Melvin Capital. Melvin! Sorry, Bob Melvin. But uh, there's a hedge fund group called Melvin Capital which was very aggressive, shorting that stock. And the founder of that group named Glabe Plotkin. Glabe Plotkin closed out his action on Tuesday after taking massive, massive losses. Now you might say, how much was his massive loss? 2.75 billion. Once again, 2.75 billion dollars. So, you might say, well, what has this got to do with the Mets? Well, you might recall that Plotkin made a huge cash in infusion from a place called Point72. Point72 is Steve Cohen's hedge fund. In fact, Plotkin worked for Cohen. And so, <laughs> apparently... Cohen put in seven hundred and fifty million dollars to the short so that means that Cohen has a chance of having over a billion dollars disappear from his ledger so what does that mean for the Mets because the Mets were going to have this vigorous pursuit of Trevor Bauer they're trying to get Francisco Lindor to approve an extension even before spring training stops so he wouldn't be a rental and it wouldn't be hanging over everybody's head whole season. But if Steve Cohen loses a billion dollars because of this Game shorts, uh, GameStop short, um, Mets fans are really panicked that their dreams of high payroll are over. Um, from what I understand <clears throat> of these guys, and these hedge funds they normally now I'm not an expert so don't hold me to this but they normally operate in the areas and this isn't you know cash in a suitcase but they usually operate in areas between 5 and 20 billion dollars and so is losing 2 billion dollars huge is losing a billion dollars huge uh, absolutely it's a kick in the pants in a way you can kind of say that these guys are sharks. These guys and gals are sharks. They find a stock that they know is going to go down and they exploit it. And that's what you're doing. Now, it's it's legal. It's a free market society. You don't have to do it. But that's what they're doing. They're basically burying those people when they short the stock and then they make profit off of them. But that's how these guys get billions of dollars. So, uh, as I said, I still... If you listen to me right now, I still don't obviously understand uh, 100% of it. I understand what it is in theory. And that sounds like a lot of money to you and me because it is. And maybe it might send these Plotkin and Cohen to the brink of bankruptcy. Maybe it will. But from as I said, from my understanding of hedge funds and my best friend who went to Stanford, his roommate was a hedge fund guy. And this was back in the 80s. He tried to explain all this stuff to me. And how much they operate. And he was with Lehman Brothers at the time. Um, they operate in a world where 1.7 billion is a kick in the crotch, but it's not debilitating. They can recover, and usually they un- they recover by liquidating tons of other stocks. So when you think about how many stocks they're going to sell on the cheap just to make up for their losses. There are a lot of other businesses that will get hurt by this. But I wish I had bought some GameStop stock <laughs> back in the summer when it was $4.33 a share because it's uh, it's insane. It also shows the panic, you know, how we can have a stock market crash. Everybody panics one way, everybody panics the other way as well. So the New York Mets fans, uh, I think you're going to be okay. I think Steve Cohen is rich enough to lose a billion dollars Because he tried to short GameStop. All right. When we come back, Robert Smigel, one of my favorites. Excited to have him. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back on Sports Buck.
4: 800 449 1759. Again, that's 800 449
8: 1759. Titillating Sports with Rick Tittle. Rick Tittle is a genius. The best show ever. He's so wonderful. Genius. The best show ever. He's so wonderful. Titillating Sports with Rick Tittle. Rick Tittle is a he so handsome. He's a genius.
2: Welcome back to Sports Byline USA, coast to coast, border to border, and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. You know over the years how much we've loved Sketchfest and having the performers come in studio, and I like going to all the venues, and of course COVID ruined that, but only to a certain extent, because as we've been speaking with a lot of the performers in Festpocalypse, that is coming up on Saturday, and you can just look at the amazing list of guests at sfsketchfest.com, and in fact, my next guest is a perfect guy for me to poop on. Why? How dare you? (laughs) Did I catch you off guard, Robert Smigel, or did you see that coming?
23: No, I've never, no one's
2: ever done that to me.
23: (laughs) Every no one has ever complimented me and and then pulled a a, a horrendously cruel switcheroo like that. Where did this? this, I'm completely thrown now. (laughs) Well,
2: (laughs) you won't see uh, Robert's name on the list, but you will see Triumph, the insult comic dog, which is just one of his uh, myriad creations. Uh, When you first did Triumph, you did it on Conan first, right?
23: Yes, yes, it's completely, uh, it was, it, yeah, it became famous, if, if you can call that famous, on uh, on the Conan show. I did it there, oh my God, it's like 1997 was the first time I did it. It's been that long. And uh, I did it there as a uh, spinoff of a bit I used to do. When I was the head writer, the original head writer there, I came up with a bit where Westminster, Dog uh, champions would come on and uh, display their talents, uh, you know, on a puppet stage. And we, my wife, had found these incredibly realistic dog puppets that she bought me for my birthday that year. And um, so there were all these different talents that dogs had, like singing the theme from The Bodyguard, or you know, dueling banjos, or playing, uh, you know, uh, one dog. Uh, was a magician that cut another dog in half. We would bring these back every year. We were starting to run out of ideas. That we got to the point where it was like a dog that lights its own farts, <laughs> a dog that has uh, that does Jack Nicholson impersonations and like you know takes his paw and puts it over his forehead like in that hacky way people used to imitate Jack Nicholson. And of course, yeah. they all had Eastern European accents because that's just the way in my mind growing up, the dogs talked and it wasn't until like four years into the show that I had the idea for an insult comic as uh, (laughs) one of the, one of the competitors. And um, it just happened by accident that day. I had the idea in the shower. And then by the end of the day, we had done it.
2: (laughs) And It's now a legend that show we're, we're about the same age, you're a little bit older than me, but that show was so creative and, I remember that you know Andy's sister that lived under the stairs it turned out to be Amy Poehler. and you know yeah. you you yeah. doing the, the lips of the yeah. you know the whoever it was and it it seemed like yeah, you that's... would always always do that same smigle voice for all the lip characters.
23: <laughs> <laughs> I like to think that I was doing impressions. I called myself an an, impre- an imprecisionist. But uh, but you know, I, I was trying to uh do the impression, but sort of inspired by Dana Carvey, the way he's clearly having fun and being playful with the impression and creating a caricature as much as an impression. But, you know, so I did everyone from Bill Clinton and Bill Cosby in the early years and Don King. I used to do a lot and Bob Dole. Uh, And then it became like Schwarzenegger and George Bush and Donald Trump even, like a recurring A recurring impression in the in the two thousands.
2: That just reminded me. Didn't you say, as Dole, I got World War Two in my pants?
23: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, yes. And I would take every little hook that I could find way too far. So with Bob Dole, this thing was Bob Dole. He wouldn't refer to himself as anything but third person. And so it just right. got to the point where it was like, okey-dokey, like every every other word out of his mouth was, don't! <laughs> the single most fun character I ever did was uh, on the show, even more than Triumph to me. I had more fun yeah. doing
2: Bob <laughs> That's Dole. great stuff. Speaking of yeah. Dana Carvey, when he did yeah. his own show and he snatched you away from... SNL, (laughs) I I love that show, and, you know, Colbert, and I should say Colbert, and and Carell, like Colbert says his whole career was made because someone saw him do that sketch where they were sort of barfing as they described the specials, you know, as the waiters. That's exactly
23: Uh, true, so Colbert was somebody that I had wanted to hire since I'd seen him when I was a writer at SNL. Uh, I got to uh, become a producer at some point that I would go and help... um, when Lorne Michaels would fly to Chicago to look at talent. And one night we went to second city and we were there primarily to see Steve Carell, who was the talk of the town. And Steve Carell wasn't there that night. He had an audition. He, you know, he actually got a job for uh, a Brown's chicken. (laughs) And he couldn't get out of it. So he missed out on Lorne Michaels being him. So we were there a little deflated and uh, watched the show. It was a very funny show anyway. And Steve Carell's understudy, I remember at the end of the night, after he had done a lot of funny, uh, after they do a a scripted show and then they do improv sketches um, afterward. They have an improv set. And Stephen Colbert was so, he was the understudy and he was so incredibly dry and funny both on the show, but especially in the improv set, that he was the one that I singled out. And, um, he didn't get for, so I don't know, he didn't get to audition for SNL, but I kept him in my head. I had Conan meet him when Conan got his show. Uh, we couldn't quite figure out a role for him on that show. And then Dana Carvey, I left Conan and for a couple of years, I was just on my own. And then I, did the Dana Carvey show in 1996 and Colbert again, this time Colbert wasn't available to audition so we just sent in a tape of him uh, crying and pleading for a job and holding up his newborn booty and it was funny but it didn't demonstrate any kind of versatility <laughs> to be a sketch player so I just told Dana Carvey, can we just fly him in because and just see because he's really funny and so we did and then his his live audition for us was phenomenal. And um, yeah, so he did a sketch with Co- Steve Carell on the show called Waiters Who Are Nauseated by Food, uh, which was one of the funniest sketches we did all year. And all oh, year, what am I saying? The show lasted eight weeks. <laughs> <laughs> all weeks. It, it was one of the best sketches we did all weeks. And uh, <laughs> and, and And yes, Madeline Smithberg, who was producing The Daily Show at that point, um, saw the sketch and um, wanted Colbert for her show based on that. So, yes, in a roundabout way, I'm entirely responsible (laughs) for that man's life. (laughs) (laughs)
2: we're speaking with robert smigel he's at festpocalypse coming up here saturday 5 p.m pacific eight on the east coast couple more questions for robert you mentioned chicago and near and dear to you and um your time my favorite city yeah and you know of course the bill swirsky sketch you were in that with with farley and went but i want to ask you about uh bob bob odenkirk because he's one of my favorites and oh um, you're Years ago, I had the pleasure at Sketchfest, um, Dana Gould, who I got to know, he took me backstage and he introduced me to Bob Odenkirk. And he goes, are you a stand up? Mm-hmm. I go, no, I'm a radio host. He goes, all right, nice to meet you. And then I told that story name dropping now again, but I told that story to Brian Posehn and he said, oh, no, was he nice to you? He goes, he's famous for being a little uh, rough around the edges when he meets people. Is that <laughs> is oh. that what you find from from Odenkirk?
23: Uh, not really, but, you know, I met Bob and worked with Bob as a peer. You know, everybody, there's a different dynamic to everyone. Uh, you know, I've, I've learned this. You know, you can't make snap judgments on people because they may behave one way in front of their boss, one way in front of their peers, one way in front of the people who are working, uh, you know, uh, for them. It's very hard to, uh, you know, sometimes the only way to really know a person is to see how they interact with people other than you. You know what I mean? (laughs) Uh, So, I mean, but my experience with Bob, I mean, Bob's one of my best friends, and he's a great guy. And, I've, you know, the only time Bob ever pushed anyone's buttons that I kind of noticed was when he was at SNL, and he was a young writer there. I had, he was my, he was the most talented person I knew in Chicago. So talented that at one point when I was there, I was like, I told my girlfriend, maybe I should just be a manager and manage Bob's career. <laughs> this is like before I got SNL. And when I got SNL, I, Bob was the one person from Chicago that I pushed to get hired, and he did, but he never really connected with the show he didn't have the same reverence for it that I did. And I think he had a more fully formed comedy personality than I did at the time. Like I had gone through college and I was a pre dental student. And then I just sort of experimented with this for a couple of years and got lucky and got hired Bobbitt and writing and doing stand up and developing his own persona for a longer period. And I don't think he really uh, did. He didn't, he didn't, you know, he didn't get as many sketches on and i think uh I think there was a part of him that enjoyed pushing pushing people's buttons of uh, <laughs> like they had writers there and and kind of letting them know that he didn't think the show was quite as great as as they thought it was you and know of course, and that, that's, yeah. about, that's the closest thing I could tell you for of an example of Bob like just <clears throat> and he said it in interviews that he said that he didn't really have a ton of reverence for the show at the time and and feels different about it now. But, you know, it's, uh, he was in his, he was in his like mid twenties when he got that show. It's really, it's really strange to, you know, jump into that environment at that age, you know, you're, (laughs) you're so unformed as a human being and then you're thrown into like one of the most intense and competitive situations possible in show business, you know?
7: It's an amazing
23: I, I, job, but it also it's just very challenging because you you're basically in direct competition with all these people that you're working with and love every week on some level you're in competition with them because they no, literally write 40 sketches a week and produce you know maybe 12 get on the air.
2: no doubt, and I should mention that the Mr. show duo of David Cross and Bob Odenkirk will be part. Of Fespocalypse, I could I could talk to you all day. Just one more question. I I mentioned Curb, of which you you got on as well. And I think about you know hearing the Larry David story about when the whatever night it was is a Tuesday night where you're supposed to stay at SNL all night, and he was getting into the elevator like at 9 p.m. and Lauren's like, "Where the hell are you going?" He's like, "I'm going home. I'm not staying here all night." So (laughs) is that I don't know
23: that story. Larry didn't work for Lauren. Larry worked oh, he... for Dick Ebersall, who was the producer, uh, and so during the seven. five years that Lauren was gone, and uh, Larry was very frustrated. He was he sort of had an even more frustrating time at the show than Odenkirk did. I mean, Odenkirk, for all the frustration he had there, he wrote the greatest character sketch in the history of the show. He didn't write it at SNL, but he wrote it for Second City. He wrote it for Chris Farley, who was, you know, he based it off. Sort of an attitude that Chris Farley was doing around the office, around around the stage, you know, back, backstage in Chicago, and and turned it into Matt Foley. Mm-hmm. Bob wrote that whole sketch basically, and uh, so, but but getting back to the point, um, Larry David um, was even more frustrated in SNL. So he there's 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 a whole episode of Seinfeld that's based on Larry David. Quitting SNL and yelling at Dick Ebersole, <laughs> at, like after after an episode where his sketches got cut, and really poor, you know, just tearing into the producer, and and you know cursing and saying I'm never coming back this season. I'm done with this, and then walking home and realizing that he was insane for quitting, that he needed the money, and the only. Um, recourse he had in his mind was to just show up at work and act like it never happened
2: <laughs> that was george yeah, so I remember that's
23: that. what he did he came yeah. back
8: on monday
23: and acted like it never happened and i think i think he got away with it but there's a whole episode where costanza does the same thing yeah
2: no yeah. doubt i'm being told i got a wrap unfortunately sure. it is the great robert Smigel, and he will be <laughs> the man as he always is behind triumph insult comic dog all part yes, of this podcast. weird al
23: yankovic triumph and weird al yankovic together
2: oh great with weird al as well sfsketchfest.com. robert great having you on man let's catch up down the road please you got it my pleasure all right great stuff i tittle we'll take a quick break and we will come on back on sports file Uh, We got a run here, but uh, a lot of fun today on the show and uh, finishing off with Smigel was great, but Lorraine Newman and Skinner and everybody else, it was really cool. By the way, in the midst of all this, the Texans have their new head coach. It's David Cully, a name we weren't mentioning. He was the assistant head coach in Baltimore. Before that, he was assistant head coach in Kansas City. He formed a relationship with Deshaun Watson back at the Senior Bowl, and they're hoping maybe that'll help things. We'll talk about that more tomorrow. David Cully is your new head coach of the Houston Packers. I'm Rick Tittle. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you tomorrow at 9 a.m. Pack <laughs>